Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So we're so grateful to gather together this morning and worship. You know, Tim and Innie and Wesley, thank you for leading us in worship. Um, and, and, you know, and as I was preparing for preaching this week, I, I, you know, just I had this thought again of like, why, why do we do this whole like sermon thing? This is, you know, most of the time in our lives, we don't just sit and listen to other people like say things. Some settings, if you're in a classroom, things like that. But I was thinking about this, and, and um, I was talking with Daryl, who's preached for us a few times before recently. You know, I see this sermon. There are two primary things that we desire to see happening. Those two things are forming and feeding. The forming is that we, as we hear from God's word, and myself included, as I preach and prepare whoever's preaching, that the word of God is forming us to be more like Jesus. A few weeks ago, Daryl preached for us, and he gave us that illustration of two cups, if you remember, and one was all crumpled up, and he shoved another cup inside of it, and it's that imagery of Christ, the word of Jesus in us that forms us to be more like Jesus. So we have this time of hearing from God's word as a time of forming. But it's also a time of feeding for all of us that we need to eat in a spiritual sense. We need God's word. We need to be taking that in. You need to eat today, right? Turn to somebody around you and tell them, hey, you need to eat today. Eat something, right? This is why we're doing this. We are here to, we need, in the same way that we need physical food to thrive and survive, we need spiritual food in our Christian life to follow Jesus, to walk with him. So today, this is why we do this. This is, you know, it's, not just a chance for me or Dylan or Graham or Daryl or whoever to get up here and just talk about some stuff. We need the Spirit of God to shape us and form us, and we need to eat and feed from the Word of God this morning. And so we continue in our series through the Gospel of John. We're almost finished, just one more week after this. And all through the Gospel of John, Jesus has made I am statements about himself, claims about who he is. In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He then, if if you're familiar with that story, he then went on to raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, and in that story, he said, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. But that was just the opening act, in a sense, because Jesus was not only going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he would raise himself from the dead, fulfilling the truth of, I am the resurrection and the life. This is who Jesus is and what he has done. And so our scripture today in John 20 shows us just that. That Jesus' resurrection and his appearances, it shows us the resurrection of Jesus and his appearances to his followers after the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian faith. Because if it's not true, then what are we doing? If it's not true, if Jesus is still dead in a tomb somewhere, then I'm not sure why we're all gathered here today. And here's what I mean. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes in chapter 15, he says, and if this will be on the screen, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
Meaning, why are we doing this? It's pointless, right? He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he, did not ra- whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, which is a way to say dead, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's saying, if this isn't true, people should feel sorry for us that we're like trying to follow Jesus and do this whole thing. Like, it's pointless if Christ did not raise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we, church, we would still be stuck in our sin and everything that we as Christians believe would be empty and meaningless. We would simply be another religious belief system following the teachings of a man who lived a long time ago and truly we'd be better off staying home on a Sunday and sleeping in if Christ has not been raised from the dead. One author wrote this. He said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands unrivaled as the most radical event in history. But here's the problem. The problem for us, the problem that we face probably on a day-to-day basis is it is easy for us to believe this truth and yet live our lives as if Jesus is still in the tomb. It's really easy to disconnect those things. Disconnect. Yeah, Jesus, he's risen from the dead. But in our daily practical beliefs and practical life, we can live and function as if Jesus is still in the tomb. We live a life that is fearful. We live a life that's lacking peace. We live a life without purpose. We have no promise. We don't sense the weight of the promise of eternity. We forget sometimes. I'm right. This is me too. We forget that this present life is not the end of the story. That Jesus has risen from the dead. We forget that he has conquered death and that he reigns for eternity. We get caught up in the immediate, in the temporary. I did a lot of my sermon prep this week in the food court of a mall. I, I could explain why later, but that's where I was. Uh, so, but, but as I sat there, I'm just surrounded by reminders of the temporary, of the material things. And when our real, everyday, street-level lives don't feel the gravity of the empty tomb in our hearts, we are standing on quicksand slowly being sucked into the here and nowness of the world. I don't know, when I grew up as a kid, you like watch cartoons and stuff, you think, this is someone else's joke, by the way, I've heard it in multiple places, this, you, you think that quicksand's gonna be a bigger deal in your life when you're a kid than it really is in real life, right? Is anybody with me? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it was all over the place in cartoons. It's like, oh man, watch out for quicksand, right? I don't really face it too often in our lives, but this idea that when we forget the empty tomb, we get sucked into what's temporary, what's right in front of us. So today, it's Easter in November for us. We are celebrating the empty tomb. We want us, I want us to see that the empty tomb matters and how we can experience the truth of the resurrection in our daily lives. My main idea this morning is this. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace, purpose, and a promise. So hopefully that's memorable, right? Any good pastor can alliterate things. There you go. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace, purpose, and a promise. And we're gonna see, those are kind of my three main points, how we'll break this down this morning. 
Before we do that, so Olivia read scripture for us. I want to look at verses 1 through 10 quickly and then, and then spend most of our time in the rest of it. Because I want, I want, so I want us to set, up, set us up by doing that. So chapter 20, verse 1, Mary, her name is Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb and sees the stone rolled away. Now the context here is Jesus a few days earlier. This is likely... Historically, this is Sunday. A few days earlier on Friday, Jesus had been, he had been crucified. He had been put in the tomb and it was the type of tomb where, you know, kind of like a cave type mindset. They go in and they put a big stone in front of it. So she goes to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away and it's empty. She is distraught. She does not know what to do. She thinks that someone has stolen the body or moved it. So she, in verses one through 10, it tells us she leaves and she goes to find Peter and John. So she went to to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is John. John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So she goes to Peter and John and they, you know, they hear about it. And in in verse four, it says they they start, they just run. They run to the tomb. They're essentially racing each other. I love this. The other disciple, who's John, outruns Peter. I love that John included this in this detail in the Gospel of John. He's just like, hey, just so you know, I outran Peter. Like, just little hidden thing. He, he, he refers to himself as the other disciple, but he's just like, it's like a little like subtle flex. He's like, yeah, I outran Peter. I was faster, you know. But uh, so they run to the tomb. As Peter and John realize that the tomb is empty, verse 8 tells us that, that as John went into the empty tomb, it says, he saw and believed. All that Jesus had taught them. Jesus had said, hey, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. He's been telling them this and it wasn't quite quite clear to them and yet this is like unfolding in real time for Peter and John. They're seeing, okay, things are starting to click. Things are starting to fall into place of what Jesus was talking about. So maybe they didn't fully understand everything yet, but it was becoming clearer. So I want to read the rest of John 20 before we jump in. So we're going to start in verse 19 and we're going to get the whole kind of picture of what's going on in this passage, and then we'll, we'll keep going. So John 20, verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace, purpose, and promise. So let's break that apart this morning. The resurrection brings peace. I want to see how in each of these kind of the people involved in this story 
how it brings peace to them. So how did the resurrection bring peace to Mary Magdalene? We see this in verses 11 through 18. Mary Magdalene appears in all four of the Gospels as a follower of Jesus. Magdalene was not her last name. It simply meant she was from a place called Magdala, right? Um, So she was there when Jesus was crucified, and now she's here at the empty tomb. And um, a little bit of her background and story, Jesus had cast seven demons from her. This was her past. Like she, in that regard, she had a troubled past, but she had tasted and known the peace of Jesus. And she's been following Jesus and a part of those who were learning from him. In verses 11 through 15, we see she, she has gone to the empty tomb. She comes back and verse 11 says she, was, she stood weeping outside the tomb. She's brokenhearted. She sees two angels there and they say, why are you weeping? Right? It seems obvious. She's like, well, because Jesus is gone. Like, you know, don't ask me why I'm crying. It's obvious, right? But she's searching for Jesus. And she couldn't find him. And she, she, the, the account here tells us that she sees someone and she thinks it's the gardener. And, you know, I don't know if in her grief she just wasn't, it wasn't clear who, what was going on. But as she's searching and she could not find Jesus, Jesus comes to find her. And that is such a like little joyous piece of truth right there for each of us that even in our searching, when we don't know what to do, Jesus will come and find us. That is good news. So Jesus comes and finds her. She thinks he's the gardener until in verse 16, Jesus looks at her and he says, Mary. He calls her by name, and in that moment, she realizes, she says, Rabbi, which means teacher, she says, teacher, her eyes were open, and it's clear to her, and I love the connection there, to think about the fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He, He says, I call my sheep by name, they know my voice. As Jesus looks at Mary and says her name, She realizes and knows this is Jesus. The risen Savior brought peace to Mary. In her confusion, her fear, and her doubt of not knowing what was going on, Jesus looked at her and said her name and knew, she knew who he was and that he was coming to bring her peace. So Jesus also brought peace for the disciples. In verse 19, we find the disciples hiding, and they're like in an undisclosed location. The doors are locked, it says, for fear of the Jews. Jesus, their leader, has just been killed a few days before, and they fear that they'll face the same thing if they are found. And I can imagine they're filled with fear and doubt. I can imagine there's still all kinds of questions of saying, hey, it wasn't supposed to end this way. You know, Peter and John have seen the empty tomb, but they still don't know where Jesus is. They don't know fully what's going on. And as they're together in this locked room, Jesus is all of a sudden standing in the room with them and says, peace be with you. I find this humorous, right? Does anyone startle easily? Um, like some, one day this week I got home and no one was home and I had, I had headphones in and I went upstairs and was doing something and I came down and Abby was just standing in the living room. I'm like, I like literally like jumped out of my skin. I was like, what is going on, right? So, you know, we can, is anyone else startle easily, right? Okay, it happens to us, right? So I can imagine this moment being a startling moment. These guys are locked in a room and all of a sudden Jesus is standing there in front of them and they're just like, what in the world is going on here, Right? 
For one, they, some of them still thought Jesus was dead. Secondly, they probably thought this was some sort of a trick or even a ghost. They didn't know what was going on. But in the account here, Jesus, he shows them the scars in his hands and the scar in his side from when he was on the cross. And essentially he proves to them, this, hey, it's me. It's really me, flesh and blood. I'm here with you today. And again, he says to them, peace be with you. When Jesus says, peace be with you, it's easy for us to hear like a nice, like a religious sounding phrase, as if like a priest or a pastor is saying it because they don't know what else they're supposed to say. And they're just like, okay, peace be with you. Like, it's just kind of this thing. But imagine this situation here. The disciples are gripped with fear. They are, full, they are facing grief and loss and confusion and doubt. Their rabbi, their Messiah is gone until he appears in the room and says, peace. And it's peace that dispels fear, that calms their souls. And I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, you know, there was that time in, in the Gospels in Mark chapter four when the, the, the disciples were on a boat with Jesus and the, there was a storm and everything and Jesus said, peace, be still. And I was like, oh, it's like that. But then I went and looked, it's actually a different word. Interesting, fascinating, right? In Mark chapter four, when Jesus calmed the storm, the word means like, be silent, be quiet, Right? So it's like when, you know, the kids are noisy, and you're like, hey, hey, be quiet, peace, be still, right? And yet here in John 20, it carries a more meaning of like be at peace or like be in a state of peace and calmness. And it's the same word from Luke chapter two, the story of the birth of Jesus of Christmas when the angels announced the birth of Jesus saying, peace on earth. So it's not just that Jesus is saying, hey, hey, calm down, be still. Jesus is saying, hey, I am coming for you to feel and know peace deep, deep in your heart. That Jesus is giving them himself to calm their fears. He is the prince of peace. He brings peace on earth and peace in our hearts. The risen Jesus brought peace to the disciples in a time when they needed it most. And then thirdly, Jesus brought peace for Thomas. Thomas was one of the disciples. And the first time that Jesus appears to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. It doesn't tell us where he was. He just wasn't there. The disciples tell him, hey, they're like, hey, we have seen Jesus. And Thomas essentially says, I don't buy it. I want to see it for myself. I want proof. And Thomas has earned the unfortunate nickname of Doubting Thomas. Uh, maybe that's a little bit unfair to him because Thomas is like, hey, listen, I had some questions and some concerns one time, and now all of history, I'm Doubting Thomas, right? Have you ever gotten, has anybody ever had like an unfortunate nickname from like one thing? You're like, why do I gotta be called that for the rest of my life? But I don't know. Thomas just wanted to be sure, I believe, that this was not a trick. This wasn't an imposter. Thomas just wanted some clarification with what was going on. But in verse 26, as Thomas is still unsure, eight days later is what it says. The disciples are again in hiding in this like hidden place, the doors locked. And again, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. And Jesus lets Thomas see the scars, lets him feel those for himself. Jesus brings peace to his doubts. And it tells us Thomas had questions, he had doubts, and yet Jesus still reveals himself to him. This is really good news for you and I in our doubts and our questions. 
And maybe sometimes you have more questions. You feel like you have more questions than you do answers. Or maybe you're just a little bit skeptical of all this church, this this following Jesus, this Christianity thing. But hear me today, Jesus isn't waiting for you to figure it all out. He is inviting you to himself as you are. And not only that, he comes towards us in our questions, in the times when we don't have it all figured out. And Jesus can handle our questions and our doubts. And in the midst of that, what he told Thomas, he said, do not disbelieve, but believe. In the middle of our questions and doubts, as Jesus comes towards us, he continues to say, put your faith in me. You can trust me. You can believe that I am who I say I am. In our fears, our doubts, our questions that all of us have at times as we go through this Christian life. We can sometimes fear, I can't take that to God. I can't, I can't express my concerns, my questions, my doubts. I can't do that. And yet God says, share your heart with me. Tell me what's going on. And Jesus says, I will come towards you. And Jesus doesn't leave us in our doubts and questions. He says, don't disbelieve. He says, but believe because I'm worthy, I'm trustworthy. You can put your faith in me. Jesus brings peace to Thomas. So in our lives today, what does that look like? How does the resurrection bring us peace? As you leave here and go through your day and go through your week, how does the empty tomb bring us peace? It means that we can live with peace in our hearts. Because the empty tomb answers the deep questions of life. Questions like, how do we deal with the sin and the brokenness of the world? How do we deal with the sin and the brokenness inside of us? It answers questions like, am I okay? Like, am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? It answers questions like, am I enough? How can I face death? The empty tomb gives us peace. It quiets our hearts to say, Jesus, I trust in you. You have conquered death. You are ruling and reigning over all things. And it's not just some random thing to believe, but we can live each day with peace in our hearts when we say, I know who Jesus is. I know that he is risen, that he is in control. And every single day, as we do our jobs and change diapers and cook food and pay our bills, we can hear Jesus speak to us, peace be with you. And as I was preparing this sermon, it was one of my prayers this week, that this week, as you're living life and doing whatever, that you'll pause and be still and listen and hear Jesus say, the Spirit of God say, peace be with you. And sometimes that might not feel practical, but in our lives, that's the most practical thing that we can have sometimes is to stop and say, okay, I have peace because Jesus is the conquering, risen Savior. So we can live with peace in our hearts, but we can also live as people of peace in the world because our hearts are secure in Jesus. We can live as a non-anxious presence in our anxious world. I have a picture, maybe you've seen this before on the internets, right? It's this dog like sitting in the fire. Where's this picture here, right? And he's like, okay, everything is burning, everything is falling. And he's like, this is fine, right? You probably have seen this before, right? I don't know if this is the best definition of a non-anxious presence, but this dog, the world is burning around him. He's like, it's okay, everything, right? So to be a non-anxious, 
anxious presence, it doesn't mean we don't care what's going on. It doesn't mean we disregard what's going on around us. It means we have an anchor for our souls in the midst of those things to say, I don't know what's going on, but my heart is at peace because I have hope in Jesus. And we don't have to just say, this is fine and ignore it. But we can say, Jesus, you are my rock. And when everyone else is panicking, when everyone else is stressed out and anxious, we can say, you know what, I'm facing these things as well, but I have peace. It doesn't make sense except for the risen Savior. When everything goes crazy, we are at peace. In Psalm chapter 27, verse three, David wrote this, and I love this. This is a non-anxious presence. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I don't know about you. If an army encamped against just me, I, I'm not, I don't know how I'd feel about that. But David says, even if an army, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David was not putting his hope in his own abilities, his own strength. He was putting it in the Lord. And we can do the same thing to be living as people of peace when everything can seem chaotic, when everything can feel like it's falling apart. We say, yet I will be confident because Christ is my king. We don't have to face the chaos of life in the same way as everyone else around us. We, church, you and I, we can live differently. We can say from the depths of our heart, we can say it is well with my soul even if I don't understand it all, we can be people of peace. That was the first point, and it was the longest one, I promise. Point number two, the resurrection brings purpose. Here's the deal, the resurrection is good news to share. It is a celebration, and it gives us purpose. As Christians, as the church, it gives us purpose. Jesus has put an end to the power of death. And this is good news worth celebrating. And there are two times in our chapter, in John chapter 20 here, where Jesus sends someone. He tells Mary in verse 17, Jesus sends her to go and tell the disciples the news. This is right after Jesus has talked with Mary and she says, he says, okay, go tell the disciples that you've seen me and that I'm coming. And she goes and announces, she says, I have seen the Lord. This is in verse 17, I, verse 18, sorry. She says, I have seen the Lord. What a great, simple way to think about sharing Jesus with others. As we go through our lives, as we encounter people, as we talk with people, that the heart of that message, I have seen the Lord, is to say, hey, I have hope. I have seen the Lord. My heart has been changed. I have met Jesus. Look what he's done in my life. I have seen the Lord. And I read in a commentary this week, because Mary, in all four gospels, she is the one who is sent to share the first revelation of the good news of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene is often called the first evangelist. She's the first one to see the risen Savior, and Jesus says, go and tell, and sends her out. Then, in verse 21, Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
This is the great commission of the gospel of John. You know, we read in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is John's version of that. I am sending you out to go and be followers of Jesus in the world, making disciples, seeing the kingdom of God come wherever you are. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The risen, the risen Jesus is giving them and us purpose. He is sending them out to go and make disciples and proclaim the good news. What does that mean for us today? It means that we have, as followers of Jesus, we have purpose. To follow Jesus, which is to say to be a Christian, means necessarily that you are on mission. We are sent ones. We can disconnect those sometimes. We can say, oh yeah, okay, I'm a Christian, I'll follow Jesus. Well, but I'm not really like, I don't really want to know if I'm gonna share my faith. I'm not like a missionary or anything like that. And yet the Bible does not disconnect those things. As a follower of Jesus, we are sent with purpose to proclaim the good news of Jesus. How could it be otherwise? because our lives have been changed. We have been brought out of death into life and in the same way that God the Father sent Jesus, he gives us purpose, sending us out. So, as a follower of Jesus, your life has great purpose. To know God and to make him known in the world. And every single one of us in here has a circle of influence and God is sending you with the message of the gospel. And it is the resurrected Jesus that is good news. We think about the story. If Jesus gave his life on the cross and that was the end of it, then it doesn't go anywhere. Death still wins, but it doesn't. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, and that is what sends us out with purpose to say we have a risen Savior. We have hope when everything seems hopeless. Third point is this. The resurrection brings a promise. Death is not the end. That's the promise. For Jesus, death was not the end of the story. For you and I, death is not the end of the story. It is no longer the final word. I don't know if you are a fan of Lord of the Rings. I enjoy watching those. I'm not a super fan, but I like it. But in Lord of the Rings, one of the hobbits, whose name is Sam, Towards the end of the story, he asks a question. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that Jesus has made even death come untrue. It's what the resurrection does. It brings us to this point to say there is hope. All of the brokenness of the world, there is healing, there is eternal life, there is good news because Jesus has made even death itself come untrue. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes in verse 55, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's almost as if Paul is writing and this, I don't know if he's mocking, but he's saying, hey, what now? What now, death? You no longer have the victory. That is the promise we have. Death is not the end. There's a theologian named J.I. Packer, and he says it well. This will be on the screen. He wrote, Jesus' resurrection demonstrated his victory over death, vindicated him as righteous, 
and it indicated his divine identity. It led on to his ascension and enthronement and his present heavenly reign. It guarantees the believer's present forgiveness and justification and is the basis of resurrection life in Christ for the believer here and now. There's a lot going on in that quote, but he's showing us this is what's happened that Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus means that we are set free from our sin. We have hope in this present world. We have hope in the future. Because of the resurrection, a follower of Jesus has the promise of eternal life. So for us today, how does the resurrection bring a promise? Kind of in our practical life and practical thinking, it means that we can live knowing that death is not the end of the story. Sin and death have been defeated and we today live in the power of the resurrection. And what that does to us, it means that we don't have to live. We don't waste our lives on what is passing away. A couple of weeks ago in John chapter 18, We saw where Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. This is the promise that we, church, live for a greater kingdom. We don't get caught up in every trend, in every fashion, in everything going on around us. It's all temporary. Instead, we invest in what's eternal. People are eternal. God's word is eternal. The kingdom of God is eternal. And so we invest in those things. We build relationships. We love people. We serve people. We invest in God's word to obey it and follow it. We say, God, let my life be spent to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we live with confidence that even if everything crumbles, Christ is reigning and we have the promise of eternity. The risen Savior Savior shows us that we can anchor our hearts in heaven, not in this world. There's a big difference there. We anchor our hearts, I don't know much about, I'm not a sailor, I don't know much, but you know, you put an anchor in like loose sand, it doesn't work. You put an anchor on a rock, you're, you're firm. You're not moving, you're not going anywhere. We can anchor our hearts in heaven, the eternal, the unchanging. We don't have to anchor our lives in this world anymore. This is the promise of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace, purpose, and a promise. The resurrection is the pinnacle of the gospel message It is the proclamation of good news that Jesus is alive. And the whole story of the gospel is that because of our sin, you and I as humans, we have sinned against a holy God. We have rebelled against God. And we've said, we wanna do it our own way. We know better than you, God. This is our sin and our rebellion. And that sin has separated us from God that we are separated him from him, cut off from him. Scripture even says we are enemies of God. We are dead in our sin. This is a bleak picture that the Bible paints that describes anyone who is not in Christ. But there is good news that God in his grace and his love sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was born of a virgin and lived a sinless and perfect life. We 
we're not able to do that. We not only are not able to, we actively choose sin most of the time, right? But Jesus never rebelled against the Father. He obeyed the Father. He was one with God, which made him able to be the sacrifice. And Dylan preached about this last week. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sacrifice that gave his life on the cross for our sin. And God, in his grace and mercy, when he didn't have to, has made a way for you and I to come into relationship with God. We deserve to be cut off. We deserve to be for eternity separated from him. And God, in his love, has said, put your faith in Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Jesus has made a way for your sin. And it's nothing that we earn, but we simply turn and say, yep, I agree, my life is a mess. I have sinned against God and I can't solve it and I can't fix it. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? I put my faith in you, my faith in you that you can bring me to God and I repent, I turn away from this life that I've been living and trying to keep all the plates spinning and trying to hold my life together. I'm trying to make it on my own. Jesus, I turn away from that. I cannot solve my own problems. I cannot fix my life. Jesus, my faith is in you. And in doing so, we are brought out of death into life, out of darkness into light to live as people who are set free from sin, to live as people who have purpose. This is the good news of Jesus. And so this morning, rest in Jesus this morning. Say, man, I don't have to earn, but Jesus, you've done everything. I put my faith in you. And we can ask ourselves again, Am I living as if Jesus is still in the tomb? And what was the thing? What was the message that Jesus told Thomas? In verse 27, he said, Thomas, he said, do not disbelieve, but believe. This is our opportunity to respond to the gospel. This is what Jesus says to us as he comes to us. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Put your faith in me. This is where you find life. And this is the message to each of us this morning. And maybe this morning you are not a follower of Jesus and the message to you would be do not disbelieve but believe put your hope in Jesus and what he has done if you are a Christian this morning we need it every day to say you know what I forget <laughs> I forget to trust in Jesus I forget to lean on him and today believe in him believe again believe afresh in what Jesus has done and accomplished for us so maybe today you need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. We would love to talk with you. Maybe today you just need to rest in that and remember that. Maybe this morning you need to hear Jesus saying, peace be with you. Maybe we need to hear this morning Jesus saying to us, I am sending you out. And as we go from here, you can say, okay, God, I don't know how, I don't know what, I don't know what to say, I don't know where I'm going, but Jesus, I'm yours. Would you send me? Would you let me go with the simple message of, I have seen the Lord. Rest today in the promise of the resurrection. Tim, you guys can come up and prepare to lead us in worship. But... And this morning, if you are dealing with doubts, 
with skepticism, with questions, that's okay. Bring those to Jesus. Be honest. Be honest enough to say, I don't get it. I don't understand it, Jesus. It's not making sense, but would you help me? Would you reveal yourself to me? That is such an honest prayer to say, I don't know, but Jesus, would you help me? Would you reveal yourself to me? We're gonna continue in worship. This morning, if you'd like to pray with someone, we would love to pray with you after the service. But as we continue in worship this morning, church, let's celebrate and rejoice in what Jesus has done. Celebrate and rejoice in the risen Savior because we are people who have hope. Let's pray together, then we'll continue in worship. God, we rejoice this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the risen Savior. God, it is easy for us to say that and not really feel it in our hearts. Lord, let us feel the weight of that, the beauty of that this morning, that we have peace because of that. We have purpose. We have the promise of eternal life. And Lord, as we worship, let us rejoice. Let us celebrate. As we go from here, let us go as people who realize our lives have been changed. We have the greatest hope, the greatest message of good news. Lord, help us be our strength. Let us rest in the power of the gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 